Good morning. Welcome to Journey in Our Church. Surprise! I'm not Tim. Um, as Tim alluded to in week one, um, this is a, it's a five-part message series, and uh, we were going to split it up a little bit. So for this week and next, uh, you get to listen to me. So um, in the meantime, Tim is taking a little time off to uh, celebrate his birthday, get rested up and ready for Easter, and a busy in spring and summer season. So um, in the meantime, many of you know who I am. My name is Ryan Palmer, just as many of you have no idea who I am, and that's okay. I'm going to tell you just a little bit about myself. I'm married to Holly. We have two kids of our own. We have a 19-year-old son, Riley, who lives down in Minneapolis and is a student at the University of Minnesota. We also have a 14-year-old son, Aiden, who is a very, very active participant in uh, our Journey North Church uh, youth programs here. Um, We also have more than that. That is not our only family. We also have a foster child who is now 20 years old, still calls our house home, living in River Falls, Wisconsin, and going to school there. His name is Cordell. And we also have a goddaughter, Taylin, who's 19 years old. She's called me daddy her whole life. Um, and she's living out in Auburn, Washington, attending college out there. So I give you all these, these gritty details of my life because it identifies who I am and it identifies who my family is. There's no doubt in anybody's mind who knows me or most of my family about what we stand for and what we believe. And that's a really good lead into what the topic is going to be today. I'm really excited to be able to stand up here in front of you. As I said, we're in week three of a five-week series. Uh, I'm going to go over the last couple weeks as a recap for you to remind you what Tim had talked about, and then we'll move into my message. So in week one, Pastor Tim talked about contentment. So we're living in a selfie-centered world. How How do we achieve these things? So the first thing he talked about was contentment. And in that, he said that we need to start killing comparison. The more and more that we worry about what we have or having the same thing as other people, we harbor resentment and we become bitter, and that's just not something that we need. So Philippians uh, 4.12, Paul tells us, I have learned the secret of being content. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Now remember, when Paul wrote that, he was in jail. Not a real easy place to be content, right? The second thing that Tim had mentioned to us was cultivating gratitude. We heard these words from James uh, 14 through 16. It says, But if you harbor, harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. So clearly when we read this, he's talking about you get what you sow. If you display bitterness, you are harboring unspiritual and demonic feelings. But if you instead have an attitude of gratitude and celebrate others' blessings and goodwill, you will cultivate a much more contented state of being, and that's what you'll reflect in your life. Last week, Pastor Tim talked about relationships and how social media has caused us to lose our face-to-face, the face-to-face factor um, in, in having such relationships. We were introduced to Jesus' new commandment, in fact, last week, or the new covenant, uh, and it says, love one another as he, Jesus, loved us. Pastor Tim gave us a couple ways that we could actively show love 
the first thing that he mentioned was to just be present. When your friends or loved ones come to you because they're struggling and they confide in you, pay more than lip service. Don't just say you'll pray for them. Don't just say you'll be thinking about them. Actually do it. Take the time right there and say a prayer for them. Might be a little weird the first or second time you do it. That's okay. The more and more you do it, the easier it becomes and it just becomes second nature. The second thing that he mentioned was to be engaged. Just being there isn't always enough. You need to be engaged. When you're with these people that are confiding in you and struggling, give them 100% of your time, of your, of your attention and your time. Put away the phones. Put away any distractions and make them the most important thing at that moment so that they know that they're important. By following these two suggestions, suggesting verses 34 and 35, Jesus' command from John 13, chapter, 30, or chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, he says, A new command I give you, love one another, as I have loved you, so much do you love each other. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So this week, I'm going to move into week three, and I'll be speaking about authenticity. Specifically, how we portray ourselves and our lives to other people. And also how we need to remove filters and things that muddle the way that people perceive us or the way that we see life. But before I go into that, I'm going to let you know a little bit about next week. Next week, we're going to be moving into compassion. And we're going to look at how and see specifically how social media and technology is actually causing people to care less about each other. Thank God for the church. I'm a firm believer that if we preach the gospel week in and week out, that the people that are here to witness it are going to be able to move on in life beyond throughout that day and rest assured that they are loved and have compassion from God. But there is a problem with just preaching the gospel each week. Once they walk out of this building, people are exposed to the world. All the evil and the distractions that exist, clearly we see this more and more with the influence of social media. So here's a real quick reality check for you to see where you're influenced from. Some of you might want to write this down. So how many people here are aware that you can check your screen time usage on your phones and your mobile devices pretty easily, right? Quite a few of you, right? So I had to do a little digging, I'll be honest, for you non-Apple users, God bless you. Um, I did get answers for you as well as you Apple users, but here's what we're going to do. Apple users first. If you want to check your screen time, you go to your phone or your device, and you hit settings. After that, you click on screen time. Now, by default, screen time will show you your recent usage for that day. You know, it's just this is what you're doing. Down below that, it says see all activity. <clears throat> click on that. When you click on that button, it's going to show you the usage on that device for the last seven days and how much time you spent on each app. If you scroll all the way to the bottom of that screen, you're going to see every single app that's on your phone. And it's going to tell you, you spent 68% of your time on Facebook. You spent 24% of your time on Snapchat. You spent 1% of your time in the Bible app. <clears throat> Reality check. Don't worry, Android users. I didn't forget you. So... I'm sorry if it's not this way, but this is as close as I could get. So on your phones or your device, you hit settings, or battery first. I'm sorry, you hit battery. 
and then you go to the three-dot menu that's on the top. You click on that. Show full device usage is the next thing you click on. Uh, no, sorry. See, I don't even know it. So Android, you start over. You go to settings. As I said, you go to settings. In settings, you go to battery. When you're in battery, there you type, a three dot, type the, the three-dot menu, then click on battery usage, and then again the three-dot menu. After you do that, it'll show you your full device usage history. Now for you, that's a reality check, right? So you're probably wondering why I'm making such a big deal out about screen time and, and influence. Well, this is why. Today we're going to be talking about authenticity and how we become or remain authentic in a selfie-centered world. Authenticity has multiple meanings, um, all of which describe in part what we'll be covering today. These are three of the definitions that I'll be referring to throughout this process. The first is worthy of acceptance or belief. The second is not false or an imitation. And then the last part is and true to one's own personality, spirit, or character. In a world that's defined by social media, authenticity is often hard to discern. So, if you're not involved in social media, I know there are a few people still that aren't, um, selfies are a very popular thing that, that, um, that, that, that surrounds social media. So much so that in 2014, the word selfie was actually added to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary as a word. Also, in 2014, there was another word added to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. What do you suppose that one would be? <laughs> Crickets. Yeah, no, it's been there a while. Um, no, actually, the other one that was added was hashtag. <laughs> hashtag. Hashtag was added. Now, many of us know that a hashtag is a pound sign or a dollar or a, a number symbol, right? But hashtag was actually added as a word to the dictionary as well. The point of this is that social media has impacted our lives so much that we've created an entire jargon to support and understand what's happening in social media. Now, if you're younger, there's a few of you here, you might not understand this, but in my generation, we would have never, ever turned a camera on ourselves. Ever. Just not something we would do. Most of the time, we had... 24 opportunities on one roll of film <laughs> to try to get the best picture we could. And there's nothing worse than taking your photos in to get them developed, usually with doubles because you got some great pictures coming off of this, to get them back and realize that you have 18 blurry shots. Can't even tell what's on them. Two shots of random things like a finger <laughs> or the ground. And then you might have four shots out of that entire roll that was even worth taking, right? So the point is, we would have never thought about turning a camera on ourselves because we just really didn't like having our picture taken that much. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, many of you might remember the worst day of the school year. What's the worst day of the school year? Picture day, right? Yeah, <laughs> picture day is horrible. Picture day is horrible. So we get all gussied up at home, all made up. This is what we're going to look like when we get to school. And then Mostly for boys, I'll, I'll admit that. We have probably the most intense game of tag that we've had the entire year. So we're all sweaty and gross. And then we get to the classroom and the teacher's like, all right, pictures in five minutes. Uh, so myself, you know, 
I would ask to go to the restroom so I could, you know, feather my hair, make myself pretty like Bo Duke all over again. Well, okay. (laughs) At least I tried to make myself presentable. But then we'd go, we'd walk in to get our picture taken, and you'd have one shot. One take only to get the picture that's going to define your entire year. (laughs) And good or bad, that picture did define your entire year. I might have been subject to this as well. As you can see in this first picture, this was third grade. And uh, my mother's here today. Actually, I can find out for sure. But if I recall, I think I might have been throwing up just a little bit before I was taken to school this day. Long enough to get my picture taken. And I probably went home after that because I didn't want to be that blank box in the yearbook, right? Not picture, Ryan Palmer. So, but it's all right, it's all right. It does get better. We move on. We get to sixth grade. <clears throat> Come on. Magnum P.I. was popular. Hawaiian was chic. That was cool. But it gets better. We move on. We have seventh, eighth, and ninth grade. You can see the nice blonde, feathered hair. My, my representation of uh, Buda, uh, Bo Duke. Bo Duke, whatever that is. Bo Duke. But the point is, Things have changed a whole lot. Um, we're now in this selfie-obsessed culture, and everybody is just taking pictures of themselves, and then we put a filter on it, right? So you may not know what a filter is. A filter is something that we can change the picture, that's our digital picture that we have. You can, you can make it black and white, or you can make it sepia tone, or you can soften it up a little bit, or you can make it brighter if it doesn't turn out the way you want. Um, or, you know, you can add little kitty cat ears. Or Steven Tyler lips. You know, you have all these different filters that you can add to your pictures to try to, to try to present something different. The reality is the heart behind every one of these pictures is this. I don't really like myself. I don't want to show you who I am, so I'm going to show you this instead. I'm imperfect, so this is the impression I want you to have of me instead. In a world that's dictated by this, it's becoming harder and harder to discern authenticity. Culturally, we're becoming so trained to filter our lives, to present a harmonious impression of our lives, that we don't even really know what to expect other than ridicule or judgment because everybody thinks that it only matters what the world thinks. But the reality is it only matters to one person. And that's Jesus. In Hebrews 13.8, it says this. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. I am so thankful for this verse because I know that regardless of how off the rails I may go or my life may go, Jesus never changes. Jesus doesn't filter his presence to us. He doesn't take a snapshot of our behavior to remind us later. God was a God of compassion in the Old Testament. Jesus was compassion walking on the, walking on the earth while he was here. And today, through the Holy Spirit, we get to continue to receive that compassion. So how can we remain authentic in a technological world? Or how has technology caused us to be less authentic? Social media and technology have caused us to to even fear real communication. 
For example, we're so used to being able to edit what we say and filter what we show that if we don't have that luxury, a lot of people become very nervous and shut down. In fact, many times I know that I've posted on Facebook only to go back later and go, <laughs> well, that was dumb. Let's see, delete. Ah, it's gone. And just make it gone. So if we live a life like that where we can't delete or take back what we said, we don't know how to react to that. In fact, <clears throat> we fear live conversations so much that we don't even answer our telephones anymore. <laughs> Unless we know who's calling or what they want, we just let it go to our voicemail. And then we listen to the message first so that we can create a response and feel like we have some control in our life. And the reality is we just lose all spontaneous conversation. Man, in the old days, like way back in the 80s, um, <laughs> I remember well running with all my might to get to the phone before my sisters because, <laughs> hello, you've reached the Palmers. How may I help you? And then instead of just letting it go to mail or voicemail, we would actually have a conversation with the person on the other end of the line. And we would talk to them until our mom or our dad would get there to take their call. It just doesn't happen today. Today, I actually work in the public assistance arena. I'm on the phone hundreds of times a day, making call after call or receiving calls. I experience that fear of spontaneous calls all the time. In fact, I'll call a client to ask them a question about uh, an answer they had on an application or I'll try to clarify something. And I get their voicemail about 98% of the time. And then somewhere like two to four minutes later, um, I'll get a call back from that person. And they'll act like they have no idea why I called. You called? What do you need? The reality is they had taken that opportunity to listen to the voicemail I left, form their answer, and call me back when they were prepared. And it's not even that simple. I'll get hold of people and the second I ask them a question, they freeze up and they don't know how to answer. So it's like, uh, can I call you back in a minute? And at that time, they have to create their answer or, or come up with what it is that they need to tell me or want to tell me so they feel like they have control. Now, there's nothing explicitly wrong with this behavior. It just exemplifies the need that we have to control the narratives of our lives. It also shows how we, we fear what we do not know. But there is a problem with this behavior, and that is that it covers up and it confuses truth. And when we cannot clearly see or hear the truth, we sometimes use filters because we think we're protecting others from hurt or trouble. This isn't just a modern-day problem, guys. This goes back pretty much to the beginning. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, Paul refers to a story from the Old Testament, from Exodus 34. Paul is talking about Moses and he, when he ascended to Mount Sinai and received the Ten Commandments from God. And after 40 days and 40 nights, he came back down from the mountain. And when he came back down, his face was glowing. Now, this is the glory of God showing on his face. It was glowing only because he had that personal interaction with God. But really, it was glowing. And what did Moses do? He put on a veil. He's glowing and he puts on a veil. You might be thinking, well, 
he did that to protect the people because everybody knows that you could not see God or look upon God's glory without dying. But if you look closely at the text, it actually says that Moses talked to the people first and only after he talked to them did he put on the veil. Paul is implying that he put on the veil to protect the people from seeing the glory, but he put it on to show that it was actually beginning to fade away. He put a filter over his face so they would not see the truth, the truth that the glory of God was starting to fade away from him. So we're going to dig into 2 Corinthians 3 a little bit here, verses 13 through 18. And I'm going to read them in chunks, and we'll come back and we'll address the verses as we go through. But first, I'll give you a little context. <clears throat> um, Paul was actually showing the Corinthians at this point how much greater the New Covenant or the New Testament was versus the Old Covenant. Um, the New Testament or the New Covenant being to, to love as Jesus loves us, right? Um, versus the Old Covenant um, where you're following Jewish tradition and, and uh, laws. And here's what he says in verse 13. He says, We are not like Moses. Who did what? He put a face, a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end was passing away. This seems familiar to today, Snapchat or Instagram, right? Similar to when we talk a big talk when we're hanging out with our buddies or women boasting about having great things when you're on your ladies' weekends. How do we respond to the reality that things are starting to fade away or changing um, to be different? We, we tend to create or embellish, make new stories so that, so that what's happening isn't obvious. So as I continue on here, the Old Testament or the Old Covenant was passing away, so the glory was fading from Moses' face. In reality, it was changing what he was doing and what he thought was necessary. He thought that he needed to, to stop people from seeing that the glory was fading away. So we presumably can believe that's why he put the veil on. In verse 14, it goes on to say, But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their heart. So what is Paul saying in this passage? He's basically saying whenever the Old Covenant is read in synagogues, the unbelieving Jewish people cannot see the truth because they are blinded from seeing and experiencing the truth. They have failed to recognize Jesus as Lord. And the result is the inability to recognize the truth, even though it's right before their very eyes. In fact, a little bit later on in 2 Corinthians uh, verses four, chapter 4, verse 4, Paul says, The God of this world... Now, God with a little g, so it's referring to our spiritual enemies. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the truth. The veil was covering their eyes and it was stopping them from seeing the truth of who Christ was in the new covenant. But that's okay. As we move on, there's some good news. In verse 16, it goes on to say, but what, whenever... Anyone turns to the Lord. This is the good news for you right now. Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, 
there is freedom. And we, and we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with everlasting glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Unveiled living. The reality is, most of us live with a veil all the time. We've learned to become, or we've become very skilled at, creating and filtering our lives to show other people the me that I want you to see. And Paul implies that this is what Moses is also doing. He was covering the fact that the glory was fading away. So as things changed, we cover it up. The challenge is, by nature, we tend to do this. By nature, when we are insecure, when we don't feel good about ourselves, when we sin, rather than confessing our sin as our first response, by nature, we tend to create a story. We put on a veil and we cover it up. And as I said before, this goes all the way back. We can take this back to the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve sinned against God. They didn't say, God, I'm sorry. God, I shouldn't have done that. The Bible says that they were ashamed because they were naked and they were afraid, so they hid. They put fig leaves on, their own little veils. They didn't want, Jesus to, or they didn't want God to see the real them. And we all do this, whether it's in social media or in other parts of our lives. And when you think about social media, we have been conditioned to create misleading realities. For example, you may portray yourself as, hey, I'm spiritual guy. Or, hey, I'm spiritual gal. Look, here are my memes showing that I'm doing my Bible devotions. Or, here's a picture of my Bible and my cup of coffee. I'm a spiritual guy. But in reality, you still have not confessed that sin that's eating you up inside that you just don't know how to deal with. You, you constantly carry it with you. But hey, I'm a spiritual guy. Or maybe you're with it, Mom. Hey, look, here's some baked goods I made for my kids. Hey. Sorry, I just looked at my wife because she bakes all the time. <laughs> 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 or, or, hey, here's me with my kids at soccer practice. Or my favorite, hey, here's my kids with their matching lunchboxes on their first day of school with their chalkboard that says what they're going to be when they grow up picture. But the reality is, you're feeling guilty. You're feeling overwhelmed. You're feeling overworked. You feel like you don't have any friends. You feel like you don't have a life. You feel like you're not a good mother. But hey, here's with it, Mom. Or you might be Dad taking your kid to the park to push on the swings. Look, I'm a good dad. (sighs) But you realize that you feel like a failure because you're short with your kids, because you're not always engaged. And when you're working, you're gone too much. And when you're home, you're not really with them because you're occupied with something else. But hey, here's the dad I want you to see. Last one, I promise. Maybe it's the obligatory, obligatory anniversary photo. Here I am with my honey, best friends forever. 
There's nothing I'd rather be doing or be with. We have the best marriage. When in reality, five out of seven nights of the week, you spend the night at the bar after you get off work, and you come home and you pull up those naughty no-no pictures or videos on your phone, and you don't have a good marriage at all. But hey, here's the guy I want you to see. Social media has become a place where we always remove the veil, but it should not be. If you don't remove the veil face-to-face from sometimes, you know, once in a while, you're always going to be longing for something more. So instead, we take a picture and we put a filter on it, and then we're like, did you like it? Did you like it? Did you like it? I know you've affirmed me, right? You affirmed me as well? All the time we're living for likes. And we just feel empty because we're not being real with anybody. And we're not being vulnerable in a way that God wants us to be vulnerable. And the veil continues to stay on. Back in verse 15... This is what Paul said. He said, even to this day, when Moses is read, what did he say happened? He said that even in this day, when Moses is read, the veil still covered their hearts. Now, don't miss this. If you're taking notes, a veil that first covers the face will eventually cover the heart. You see, what started out as a superficial uncovering or covering became a spiritual condition. And now today... We have a generation that is so conditioned to filter everything that they don't even know how to be real. So here's how you know that these messages are, are God-inspired and intended for you to hear. I had my message written, ready to go for this week, I'm sitting here last week listening to Tim, and Tim used my material. <laughs> so... So we're going re- to recap a little bit more of what Tim talked about last week. But I'm keeping it in mind because it is important to what I'm talking about today. So last week, Tim had mentioned to us that today, most of us, on average, only have how many really close BFFs in their lives? Two, Two right? Two. And that's, that's absolutely correct. Um, but I'm going to go a little bit further with this. Most of us do have friends that we seek out and want to spend time with and hang out with. That's about four or five people. And one step further than that, we, we all have friends that we would call good friends, but we don't necessarily always seek them out to spend time with, but when we see them and spend time with them, we enjoy it. That's only eight or nine people. That's, that's hardly any, but that's our reality. That's where we're at. So again, we go into what Tim talked about last week. <clears throat> Roughly, what is the average number of Facebook friends people have? Do we remember? Yeah. So the research I did... I found that that number was 338 people. So I, I went a little further than Tim. You know, he gave us that ballpark, 3 to 350. I'm just kidding. So <clears throat> anyway, 338 friends that we, that we have these relationships with. But I'm going to go to the next platform. How about Twitter? On Twitter, they have followers. What is the average number of followers that people have on Twitter? Any thoughts? 1,000. That's pretty close. So the average number of followers on Twitter is 707 people. 707 people. But here's the heartbreaker and really the epitome of what I'm talking about today. How many 
How many accounts or how many people on Twitter have zero followers? Any thoughts? Millions? Yeah. There's 391 million accounts with zero followers. Now, I understand that that can be for a business or that can be for this or that or other thing. But let's just say that half, half of that 391 million are actually people with Twitter accounts. That's, that's, that's approximately 200 million people longing for a relationship, longing to have somebody talk to them, longing to have somebody acknowledge and affirm them. If you reflect on your Facebook or Twitter or whatever social media platform you might use, ask yourself these questions. Is there anybody that knows the real you? And the second question would be, is there, is there nobody that follows you that you could share the deepest and darkest and most important parts of your heart with? So if you said no or, or not really, I ask you why. Why do you not have that relationship? And I offer this as an answer. We do not know how to open up to people because we don't do it because we're fearing being judged. We're worried about how we're going to stack up to our friends. So instead, we put on a veil and try to pass it off as something or try to be someone else other than who we are. But don't think you're exempt just because you're one of those few that don't use social media. This is an off-the-grid problem as well. This is a Pine County Fairground problem. This is a PTO meeting problem. This is an organized sports event problem. This is a running into somebody at Walmart or holiday problem. This is an everyday out-and-about problem. And the problem is this. Some people are so used to showing their fake self that they don't even know what is real anymore. Because when I'm with that person, this is who I am. And when I'm with that person, this is who I am. And when I'm with that person, this is who I am. So instead of, so instead of learning to have relationships, we're living for likes and recognition. Do you like the me that I'm showing you? Did you like the picture? Did you like the filter that I used? Or the caption? Do you like my shirt? My new haircut? My earrings? All these questions are what we're asking, and all the time we're losing the authenticity of who we are and what we need to have in relationships. Jesus wants us to be authentic and live authentic lives. Lives that are pleasing to him and symbolic of his love for us. 1 Thessalonians 4, chapter 1, verses, or I'm sorry, 4, verses 1 and 11 through 12 reads this. It says, Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to, give in, or to live in a way that pleases God. Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business, and working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live and you will not have to depend on others. Through this type of authentic living, we will win people to Jesus far quicker than through our filtered lives. When we always use filters, when we always are showing our best side, 
or what we want people to believe is our best side, uh, we're not connecting. The difference is this. We connect with people through our weaknesses. We may impress them with our strengths, but we connect through our weaknesses. Christian music artist Brandon Heath wrote a song called Give Me Your Eyes. And in this song, he is pleading with Jesus to, to let him see people the way that Jesus sees them. Jesus always knows the authentic us, but we struggle to see. The chorus of the song goes like this. Give me your eyes for just one second. Give me your eyes so I can see everything that I keep missing. Give me your love for humanity. Give me your arms for the brokenhearted, the ones that are far beyond my reach. Give me the heart for the ones forgotten. Give me your eyes so I can see. How awesome would it be if we all prayed that prayer and Jesus answered us? Or if we allowed people to see our brokenness that has, and create relationships through the brokenness instead of some filtered life? How authentic would that relationship be versus a filtered, not real relationship? So what do we do? What do we do in this social media-driven world and generation? We've literally got an entire generation that is so trained on filtering their image, image management, if you will, that they don't know what it is to have a real relationship. They just present what it is they want you to see. So at this point, I might offer you some suggestions, some advice, if you will. Like, try not, or try to just be yourself. You know, that's, that's, that's good advice, true. Um, don't use a filter every time. That's, that's good advice, too. My favorite one is, try not to care what people think about you. That's good advice. But I want to give you more than good advice. I want to give you godly advice. And this is it. If you take nothing else out of this message today, this next next sentence is for you. Only Christ can remove the veil when you turn to him. Again, in 2 Corinthians 3.16, it says, Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. There are some of you that are here for this very moment because you have been turning to everyone and everything else looking for affirmation and you still don't have it. But when you turn to the Lord, you don't even have to remove the veil. He does it for you. When you turn to the Lord, the veil is taken away and suddenly you're not getting your approval from the likes of others. Instead, you're getting it from his love. You recognize that I am acceptable to God through Jesus. I am righteous to God in Christ. Christ is sufficient all in all. So to wrap up today, I want, to, I want you to hear this truth from verse 17. It says this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, and I am confident that he's here today, No doubt in my mind. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom from false stories, 
freedom from failures, freedom from judgment, freedom from a filtered life. When we focus on the truth that's in verse 17, we are given the freedom to try to live a perfect life. And although the only person to ever walk on this earth in perfection was Jesus, we can live a life following God's commandments. And this is the life that is pleasing to God. In Psalm 119, 94 through 96, it says this, I am yours, rescue me, for I have worked hard at obeying your commandments. Though the wicked hide along the way to kill me, I will quietly keep my mind on your laws. Even perfection has its limits, but your commands have no limit. In a selfie-centered world, we need to take the filters off. Stop living for the glory of others and focus on what is truly important. Living a life that is pleasing to God. And only then can we accomplish what Paul is saying in this passage and truly live in God's glory that he describes in verse 18. And so finally, verse 18. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. How do we get unveiled faces? We turn to the Lord. The veil is taken away, and we, with unveiled faces, are being transformed into the image of Christ. Not for the approval of people, but for the glory of God. Because we are not called to elevate self, but to die to self and to follow Jesus and give him glory in all that we do. And that's how we follow Jesus in a selfie-centered world. Please bow your head. Father, I pray today that in your presence, you would give us power to turn to you. So many of us have got on a filter and are wearing our veil In fact, every single one of us, because of our sin nature in one way or another, at some time, do this. I pray that the Spirit of God is speaking to each of you that is here today and that you are longing for your identity to be in Him, to turn to the Lord and to have the veil removed. I pray that those people who are praying today for the first time to have the veil removed, that they turn to Jesus and see and feel the true example of authenticity and that they find freedom in Jesus and, being, and begin to be transformed into his image. If today for the first time you've realized that you are living behind the veil, or maybe you've just been trying to see through all the filters of life, but today you have decided that you want to be authentic with Jesus for the first time, please say this prayer with me in your heart. Jesus, I am done living a fake life. I want to have a relationship with you untouched by filters, and out from behind my veil. Here's my heart, Lord. Please help me speak what is true and what is pleasing. I love you, Jesus, and I long for an authentic life with you. Amen. For anyone that spoke that prayer today for the first time, welcome home. We are so glad you made that decision. But here's the deal. Sometimes... To see things clearly or properly, we do need help. So if you've made that decision, please know that you're not alone. If you've made a first-time decision for Christ today, 
These forms are available back at the uh, welcome desk. Please fill one out and drop it into the joy box or give it to somebody that's got a name badge on and smiling and just let them know that you made that decision. If you need a Bible and don't have one, we'd be glad to give you a Bible. Uh, If you are needing prayer today or just want to ask a question, we do have a prayer room back there where Eric and Becca are standing and somebody will be there to have a discussion with you. For now, please stand for the final song. All right. It is time to lay down filters in our veil and take that step and become an authentic person with God and with yourself and with others. Father, thank you so much. Where your spirit is, there is freedom. And there is God. So many of us have been in bondage for so long for our shallowness of who's following me and who's liked me, liked to pick or commented or retweeted. God, we thank you that you have got a life that is so much deeper and so much more meaningful than that. That our identity is not in the approval of others, but our identity comes from the approval of your son, Jesus. God, help us to turn to you. And I don't know what that means for different people, but as they turn to you, please just let them know that they can trust that the veil will be removed. Where the spirit of the Lord is, God, we thank you. There is liberty and there is freedom. And we step into that today with faith. Amen.